Hello, everyone. You have Jake and Seth here today, and we are going to discuss the 2002 sci-fi actioner film. I don't know why I just used that phrase, but a sci-fi film, Minority Report, starring Tom Cruise. Well, Tom Cruise, directed by Steven Spielberg, and is based on a famous Philip K. Dick short story. This yes. movie did very well at the box office. It made $358 million against a budget of $100 million, so successful there. Uh, Well-received in terms of – I don't think it won anything in, in awards, or at least it didn't win anything. I think it won a, a, like a technical award or something, or it got nominated for one Oscar there. It did. Uh, that's down to editing. There you go. So, so it got some recognition, um, not, yeah. not too – Big of a surprise with Spielberg, but this film has a ninety percent uh, on Rotten Tomatoes and the average eight point one four. And I call more attention to that average because the the percent is just a thumb up, thumbs up, thumbs down. But that eight point one four, I think, really speaks to to the quality of the film. And this is one of these films. I think if it came out now, it would probably would have gotten even more love, maybe for some of the performances, just because as we talked about. Um, Oh, well, I guess offline, but we talked about previously, the sci-fi genre is getting a little more recognition, especially in the last 10 years than it was 20 years ago. But I remember seeing this film in theaters. I really liked it. I thought it was, I knew the short story. I knew Philip K. Dick. I had high expectations, especially yeah. coming off of Blade Runner and Total Recall. I thought this was like, we'll get into this later, but this was one of a great like old school tentpole movie with Spielberg, great source material. You had Farrell, Tom Cruise, great cast, and it was—I just remember it delivering. I feel like on all levels, definitely. And uh, it's also—I mean, it's sort of the—you know—Cruise has an amazing run, in my opinion, through the '80s and '90s. That's almost unparalleled, and it's kind of the start of his run. You know, he continues it in into the 2000s, and this is like sort of an important movie for him there. And I think for Spielberg too, this is kind of like the post-Saving Private Ryan. Spielberg kind of goes into dips his toe into sci-fi a bit here. And it's like, he has that run of, he finishes AI for Kubrick and he does minority report, I think. And then he does, um, uh, war of the worlds. And all three of those sort of have a sci-fi bent to him. AI has, uh, it's a, that's a tough movie for me to watch. Cause I can see parts of it that came from Kubrick and parts that came from Spielberg. And there are sections of that movie. I really like. There are also sections I think that have fallen apart. I think minority report because, Spielberg had full control of it from the get-go. It's a much more, uh, it's a much better movie and sort of more authentic to Spielberg. Whereas AI is kind of like him pretending to be Kubrick or something. And then I think War of the Worlds is kind of his miss in that genre. I I can't really disagree with anything you just said there. Uh, I remember seeing AI. I haven't seen that in a while, but I remember that being. I thought of that as it was a good fairy tale almost. It was sad, but I remember it was. I thought it was a, a nice kind of somber fairy tale. Didn't love it and didn't get all the hype <laughs> at the time because I wasn't a huge Kubrick fan, although I understand why now. I love Minority Report. War of the Worlds is one of these movies. I actually, despite being a pretty big sci-fi dork at the time, hadn't read the book. And so I didn't know how it was going to end. And I just did not love how – I did not love how War of the Worlds ended. I did not think it was very – I don't think it was executed well. I don't really love anything about it. it it's I, it's a, yeah. It's a tough. It's it's 
it's like I wanted it to be a good movie, and um, there's a, the also the like the I will say the scene in that movie that's good is the one where Cruz it's in the beginning and Cruz has to like save his family in the car and like basically there's carnage all around him mm-hmm. and the action sequence is amazing and stuff and Cruz is really good in that part but then the rest of the movie is kind of this giant mess um, but they introduce that, a human villain it switches to Tim Robbins who's this like yeah. crazed axe wielding mania it just becomes so weird it was just a, a weird decision but and, uh, this yeah, movie actually, was great yeah, I think War of the Worlds is the movie where Spielberg kind of like starts to have a dip, and but I think my it's like Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, those still are it's like the beginning of the two thousands I think, and it's like Spielberg's still at his peak when he's doing Minority Report, and it kind of shows in the movie. Um, so so yeah, it, now that we're there, I mean, this is one <laughs> of the questions. I think for me, it's pretty distinct with him. This pretty much marks the end of his peak in my opinion i think this yeah. film in conjunction with catch me with you ken is one of my favorites like truly yeah. one of my all-time favorites I-, I think it is so good arguably his best it's a really good movie and he's i mean spielberg's got some great movies but i think catch me if you can is right up there it's phenomenal so i think th- i think those two in 2000 because then the terminal war of the worlds and then he he is one of these rare directors where his second tier work is still good, but yeah. it's still just a, clearly a cut below. And so I put Munich in there. I like Munich. I thought it was a, a really um, interesting. You're right. That, it's like drama. second tier for him, though. You're right. But yeah, just like a clearly step below. Same with I. Ha- so I haven't seen all these. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is one of the worst <laughs> movies I've ever seen. And this is from someone who's seen Blade 3 like multiple times in theaters. I've seen all of the Marvels, all the DCs. I've seen a lot of bad movies. That is one of the worst movies. Just dumb. And it was the reason I'm so hard on it is it's so bad because it was one of these movies that kept trying to do these fun winks to the audience. And the audience was just looking right back like, nah, not for me, bro. Like this is not yeah. uh, surviving a nuclear explosion in a fridge swinging with monkeys on a vine fighting off weird looking Russians. it was just a so many weird decisions i'm sorry this isn't a pod about uh, yeah. Jones, uh, but you know you're right it's like you look at the rest of his movies and it's like war horse lincoln bridge of spies the post ready player one i mean none of these are the, are, are masterpiece movies and no. it's like and like so the yeah. post got like i know the post got a lot of awards and i saw and the post is a good movie but it's not one of his best. And you just said it. So, so did Lincoln. I mean, Lincoln, yeah. you know, Daniel Day-Lewis won Best Actor, but it's like Lincoln's a, a massive, big-budget high school play, in my opinion. It, it's not a very moving or evocative movie. It's just not. I agree. I liked it as a World War – I mean, not World War II. As a Civil War buff, I enjoyed it. But to your point, it didn't call anything new. For a story that still is so rich and deep and with so many untold parts, I thought it was a missed opportunity – and I think yeah. he's kind of hit this. Not he was never an edgy guy, and I, I don't expect him to come out here and be making like super bold statements about race in 2012 when he's making Lincoln. But at the same time, he he makes super family friendly movies. And what I'm saying there is he he is sacrificing I think some edge with the 30 and 40 year olds and 50 year olds to capture some like younger kids. I'm not really explaining this well. I yeah, no, it's, it's also, I mean, he's clearly just getting old, but it's like, you look at, I mean, you look at in the nineties alone, you know, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, you're just not, 
getting that level of a movie in the later 2000s. And so I do, like I do think this period of like the AI minority report catch me if you can is kind of interesting point because it's like it's right where he's still at his peak and it's right before he starts making like second tier work like like we were kind of saying. But I think Minority Report kind of got lost in the shuffle because, uh, like I was saying, he's got some massive '90s movies that people are really uh, obsessed with. But it's like Minority Report, the the subject matter is about as interesting as any of those movies, and uh, it's about as deep of a movie. Uh, I feel it's like it's funny because at the time, it, I think it just came across as a Spielberg action movie with Tom Cruise, and it was kind of slick. But if you actually stopped and thought about it. It's, uh, it does, it, I mean, it actually, it, it kind of causes a minor argument between me and my girlfriend. <laughs> what, wait, which one? So we were talking about if these precogs really existed and if people could really dream every single murder and that if you use that, you could remove murder from society potentially. And she was like, yeah, but if you were one of those people having those dreams, would you like subject your life to that? Let's, and I was like, of course not. I wouldn't want my life to be this prison in a, in a little pool or whatever. Let's say that like, for the end, because I think that's that's definitely, we'll definitely get into that. That's one of the okay. questions I have for the end. But, but, uh, but the yeah, one thing I just want to quickly bring I, it yeah, back I to. Have wait, the one thing I just want to quickly bring it back to was in terms of talking about this movie was kind of lost. It makes so much sense just because one of the things I totally agreed with you in that sense. And I thought about that and I looked at the movies that came out around then. And so in that year alone, this the year this movie came out, the Harry Potter sequel came out and the Lord of the Rings, the two towers came out. Oh, wow. Those were two of the biggest movies ever. And that's sucking up a lot of the oxygen in the room. In addition to that, as we said, catch me if you can came out. So that was Spielberg. I think that, that movie was even bigger than this movie. So this was Spielberg's yeah. second biggest movie of the year. And Tom Cruise, this is coming out for him after Vanilla Sky and Mission Impossible, which were big movies, and right before The Last Samurai, Collateral. As you said, he is in a huge peak right now. And so this is a really good movie, and I think it's actually kind of surrounded by weaker ones on each side. Maybe not The Last Samurai, but definitely Mission Impossible 2 and Vanilla Sky. It's a weird – Cruise goes right through that weird period – like he does Jerry Maguire and then he's like, I'm going to do a movie with Kubrick and I'm going to do a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And it's like, those are weird roles for him. He spends two years with Kubrick. His marriage falls apart. <laughs> he does a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, gets nominated for best supporting actor. And then, uh, yeah, kind of, you know, refines himself with Spielberg, I guess. It's also funny, you know, they had, he had never worked with Spielberg before this, I don't think. And so, and then he does this and more of the worlds with him. And kind of become Spielberg's muse for like a couple of seconds there. It's funny. It's not like they're passing each other, but there is this, this movie does kind of serve as this weird like toll from toll booth for both of them. That's probably not the right word. Yeah, no, you're right. It's like they kind of hook up to like save each other almost. (laughs) So I can't remember. There's this movie premise. The movie's stupid. and I only watched about 10 minutes of it. And I remember when it first came out and I ignored it at the time. But seeing it now and with the context of the movie, I thought it was really funny. So I'm sorry. This is incredibly vague. The premise of this movie is Lindsay Lohan is this really successful young woman in New York. And Chris Pine is this dorky loser. And they so happen to bump into each other or kiss each other. Something weird happens and their luck switches. And the rest of the movie is her trying to get him back. And he... She has bad luck now, can't figure it out. He has great luck, and it's her trying to get her luck back. 
as like the look on your face, Seth, now just tells me how riveted you are. But where I'm going with this is what I thought was so funny was that ha- what that movie was about happened in real life. Because at that time, I had no idea who Chris Pine was. But he ended up oh, yeah. having Star Trek a few years later. And Lindsay Lohan, I'm not making light of, she clearly has some mental issues, but she was like off the rocker. She was, within two years of that movie, he his star was literally taking off. And she went from being like one of the biggest starlets in Hollywood to having her own issues. And it was just, <laughs> I, it does happen. And yep. there are some times, like this, this does happen sometimes in movies. or And I'm not saying Tom Cruise stole anything, but uh, you could just tell the level of work after this, I never really, and this is a movie too. Like I said, this movie did well, this movie, I feel like should have, I think if we haven't made it clear, we both seems like we agree this. We like this movie at the time and we like it even more in retrospect and think this probably yeah. would have been more successful than it was. And so clearly it just is like a last. And I guess why it stands out is since then we didn't realize at the time, this was Stu Spielberg's last great movie. <laughs> Probably, probably. I mean, I don't think when I was sitting there watching it, thinking like, oh, Spielberg's never... I think you were just like, this is totally like in his wheelhouse and he'll continue to make movies like this into the future. I, you know, I think he just kind of lost a little bit of his sharpness. It's like, the, you know... I guess Munich has some action sequences, but it's like the next real uh, action movie he makes is the Indiana Jones Christmas of the Kingdom Skull, which may, I mean, over up and down might be his worst movie that he's made to date. And so it's like, I, you know, I wonder if he lost a little bit of his edge or a little bit of his hunger to really make uh, high, high end action movies and stuff. But all that being said, it's like, I do think Minority Report, it's like a movie maybe at the time we didn't all realize what it was, but it's, it's like super relevant. Now the content's super relevant. And it's like, also I like, I mean, I kind of liked all the performances in it and I liked the way Spielberg directed it. It's not, it was an easy movie to follow, even though it's a pretty complex, uh, there's a lot of complex ideas in it. And that's very similar to the actual Philip K. Dick short stories. A lot of Philip K. Dick, sorry, a lot of Philip K. Dick stories, are very simple to follow and very easy to get caught up in, even though the ideas inside of them are like these very deep ideas. I'd say that's a perfect way to actually describe his stories. And one of the things about them is that they age well. They age really well. And I think it's to your point, there's like a level of simplicity to them. We talk about it. It's interesting. The technology has been advanced so much, but the themes are still resonant because it's the same basic concept. It's for in this one, the idea of, and okay, you actually talked about this, the level, the question of morality, the whole idea of this film is one, if you know a crime is going to happen, can you stop someone before they commit the crime? Right. And then, but the whole idea is they, you're stopping them before they actually did anything wrong. So now you're not, you're actually prosecuting people before the crime. And how do you trust that system? It must, it has to be infallible. Going back to that whole principle of it's better to let one guilty man, um, was it 10 guilty men go free than to imprison one innocent man? There's some saying like that, yeah. There's some, just the idea that the preservation of innocence is so important. And just all the questions that would raise. And then, so one, it's, is that okay to do it before the crime? And then two, if it is, what system is that? Does it have to be infallible? Okay. But then 
it's an infallible system run by humans and anything run by a human is that right. not, then it's capable of being corrupted and just all those questions. So I'm throwing it to and you. Yeah, and also, yeah, the, the whole idea that these three people who are sort of uh, having the precognitions, these three sort of psychics basically don't get a say in their lives and have to spend their life in this pool, having dreams being injected with drugs to continue having these dreams and stuff. That was the part my girlfriend really uh, disliked. She was like, if you if you yourself can't sacrifice and and put yourself in that pool, then nobody should have to do it. And my my whole point was like, hey, if you could like go to Chicago right now and remove all murder, I think it's worth the sacrifice of these three psychic people. I just do. <laughs> I think I think it's a fair question. Uh, there was a time where I agreed with you, and I remember never having a problem with this before. But my opinions changed on it. And now my thought is crime is a symptom of a greater problem. Crimes, there are very few people who grow up in a functional household with two parents and like money's not a problem. Like usually when people are in a good, yeah, they're bad seeds. There's always bad seeds and bad things happen. And, but generally like people coming from good settings or good families, they have a, there's statistically less chance of violence. What I'm trying to say is I think, yeah, okay, you, you can take these three people and you can know that you can take 20 killers off the street today. That's great. But there's still going to be the exact same system of inequity and equality that's going to generate another 20 killers in a couple of years from now. So with the precogs, you're still not preventing crime. Right. You're not addressing the problem. I hundred percent. Cause you're still, cause the, my thing is too, you're still arresting them. So you're actually, there's, and now I think this is bringing in a bigger focus to it. The whole idea of just persecuting and prosecuting crime, like, and in this movie is a great point. How much mayhem is caused just by the sheer act of trying to apprehend these people. Right. And the idea with this technology, like they can't gas them from afar or shoot them with like, a, just uh, the, so I'm sorry, I, I cut you well, off. Well, no, I think you're, you're Great point, because it's like the real problem is addressing it in society before these people become criminals. And that's the whole that's the problem is like having the parents having the right people around kids to teach them before they become criminals. 100 percent agree with that point. One counterpoint, though, is the beginning of the movie, which I actually very much enjoyed, uh, depicts sort of the system in use for the first time and cruise. They get a dream from the precrogs. Cruz kind of does his yep. wizardry on the on the board, and what happens is it's a it's a crime of passion. Basically, a man comes home early, finds his wife with another man. Uh, he kind of it all hits him at once. He he grabs a pair of scissors and he he's gonna he's in the dream he stabs this other person basically, uh, and so Cruz and his crew of police people they fly in there. And uh, Cruz grabs his wrist right before the scissors like go into the person's chest, right? And it's like clearly, it's like this guy wasn't a criminal. He came home too early, found his wife committing adultery, and uh, was just like you know had lost lost all sense of control. I guess. What's your take on that situation? <laughs> I would say in that situation, I'm really glad you were there. He should be charged with attempted murder because he tried right. to murder you. You can't charge someone with murder if the person's not dead. That that's my right. personal opinion. And yes, I do understand that that just gives a natural advantage. But this is the other thing: if Tom Cruise had walked in and shot that guy stone cold dead, and he flew out the window, 
Yeah, he probably would have gotten in some trouble. But I think is the one thing, like, and I'm not saying this flippantly, but, like, not only would the cop be okay because of the general system that we have in place where cops don't get in trouble for anything, I don't think most people would have a problem with a cop killing someone who is clearly a man who's about to stab his wife and, like, seeing all the video there. And that's the thing about the system. You do have this video through the precogs and the cops, like, so you could see everything that happened. Right. That, it's like that That opening is clearly set up to make you tr- like believe like, oh, this could be something that works and this could be something that I could trust. It's like it's it's meant to grab you and be like, oh, they were able to stop this stabbing at the perfect moment kind of thing. Well, this this you'll probably correct me. I don't know if this is like a modern story, but this is a recurring story that we definitely have kept keep seeing in our own stories for the last 30, 40 years. And I'm just thinking of the Captain America Winter Soldier. And I'm sorry, I know I bring it back to these movies. <laughs> That's the whole thing there, too, and it's the idea – we won't go into that whole movie, but the idea there, too, that Captain America is questioning Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. because they have this preventative measure where they can wipe out threats before they even happen. It's the same concept. And right. it's the whole idea being punishments come after the crime. And And to me, the argument there is once you flip that, then that is an unjust system. Like once you bring the punishment before the crime, then you are not serving justice. And justice to me is bringing balance or bring, like, then you are the one committing the crime. Cause I mean, I'm, I won't go into, I'll get off the soapbox right now, but to me, it's just one of those things. And that's, and this isn't a, Oh, I'm right. This is the question. Cause I do think it's a question. That's how I feel. Either also I gave up, with the Patriot Act after 9-11, there was a lot of spying, and I know some people were surprised when it turned out they were spying on us. I don't know why. That's why they passed the act. I remember at the time, everyone seemed to know what was going on. And the one thing I'll say is I consider myself very much in, like uh, I'm pretty left, and I like a lot of like freedom, and I don't like a lot of spying, but I have no problem with the government listening on my phone calls or whatever. I, if that's what it means to not have another 9-11, and I know that's a slippery slope, I'm just saying I'm willing – I still trust the people in charge enough that they're not going to – over. and I haven't heard any stories about people getting in trouble for random shit. Like if I hear that, then I'll feel differently. But I, I trust – I'm willing to make certain sacrifices. Yeah, it's like our system is by no means perfect. And so it's like I think the precog system is sort of presented as like – I mean, even even by the end of the movie, I was still kind of like, okay, so maybe some of these dreams are tampered with or somebody from the inside can pull something. But I was still kind of like, you know, 95% of murders would be stopped. Like, that's still not a terrible system in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, just considering our current system, you know, it doesn't seem to be 100% perfect at all. I mean, I think the other movie I was thinking about while watching this movie was like the Judge Dredd system. Like, do we want cops just out there as judge, jury, executioner? <laughs> Well, that's, a, we, that's actually a perfect analogy. It's the, it, it, that's what was happening. It's the question of fascism and, yeah. and not to get again on the soap, but that is what it is. It's, do you trust all your faith in the system that is judge, jury, executioner? No, like there, this is the thing. There are no checks and balances in that system. There was no trial. There was no time to cool off. And I guess there's a lot of argument. I think that our process is too slow. And I think one of the phrases is always, the justice, the wheels of justice turn slow, but they, right. like they keep turning. This system, what bothered me, is just look at how John Anderton was able to get out of there 
when he was caught. Okay, so we've been talking. We haven't even talked about the premise. I know we have. Right, we, we've so, kind of talked about it. So we've talked around about it. it. This is the perfect lead-in. The premise of this film: Tom Cruise runs pre-con in Washington D.C. Tom Cruise lost his child like six or seven years before. He was at a pool, and his child was kidnapped. The worst thing that could ever happen. It's he is now divorced from his wife. He's clearly distraught. But now he runs pre-crime, and pre-crime, as we, I'm sorry, we didn't explain earlier. Pre-crime, the whole point of it is that um, they have these three psychics and a whole system set up, and he leads the police force that when crimes are crimes of passion are about to happen, they get a warning, and they're able to go, and they're able to prevent murders, or they're able to prevent most murders, and they're very successful. There hasn't been a murder in years in D.C., right. and as this is happening, um, Colin Farrell's character, Jim Street, comes in from... He's from like the he's a federal agent kind of. He's, he's a federal they're trying agent. To do it national, yeah. and so they're trying to bring it national. There's a big vote coming up. He's coming in, and so it becomes this political. And the first third of the movie is really this cool, almost political techno noir sci-fi whodunit. Because right. there's all this philosophy going on in terms of like causation and murders, and like I, there's one part where Cruz is like, look. He puts like uh, a pencil on a piece of paper and then he tilts the piece of paper and he's like, you know, did the pencil roll off or did I tilt the paper? Like what caused what? And call, you know, there's all this back and forth in terms of like who's causing the murders and like what's actually happening. And actually, I kind of agree with you. I think most of these people should be charged with attempted murder. I don't think they should actually be charged with murder. Well, so that my other problem with the system was I don't think there's no validity to it. I think you can easily set up a process where whenever there's a minority report, you get the guy and then you get him on a lesser charge. Like, and my other yeah. thing is why are they turned into vegetables and put away like meat in this massive locker? Why aren't you actually repairing them? Why aren't you? I just, oh, why do they get haloed? Yeah, I didn't, um, I understood the halo maybe for the trial, but I just, it seemed cruel and unusual. I, I, that does seem a little cruel and unusual. Although, have you heard that the, there's like this theory because Cruz gets haloed at, at a certain point in the movie. Yes, and there's a theory that like the the last act of the movie basically is his dream inside the halo, and that it doesn't actually happen. It's funny you say that because I remember when the movie first happened, I was like, "Seems too easy," but I don't believe that because there's the whole scene with the wife getting him out. Oh, yeah, that, that I mean, it's kind of it's pretty believable that the wife would come to his rescue, but I do kind of like that theory. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely some validity there, and I think there's enough ambiguity there where you can definitely see that. Uh, you're right. I think most of these people, I mean, I I would probably put them, you know, either imprison them for a year or something, or put them in a rehab area, let them talk to somebody. I don't, yeah, I don't know how much sense it makes to halo them and just store them like, yeah, like frozen meat. Especially if it's a crime of passion, like that guy, yeah. that poor guy. I'm sorry. I would have flipped out way before he did. She was, I mean, that was as awful as it could get. Uh, but it was bad. But clearly this man is emotionally, like, give him the guidance or therapy he needs so he is not, he knows how to react next time. He has, like, a mental break like that. And he's right. Like, killing I, yeah, I mean, I, the majority of murderers, I think, can be rehabilitated the right, if you know, with the right stuff. It's just... Uh, they do it in almost every other country. Like, the recidivism yeah. rates are much lower than ours, but... That's a that's a different pod. We'll save that for the political pod. I know, but it's. I mean, you. It, I don't think you can watch this movie without thinking about our current uh, sort of police and justice system. 
Um, and just, I mean, I don't have the answers or the solutions to our current system, but it's like, I think it's interesting to watch a movie like this and be like, well, here's a totally different system. And like, even with this human error and people taking advantage of that system is still going to come into play. And like you were saying, how easy it was for John Anderton to escape where he was. Um, and also they, they like, had, it was two people on a video screen, rubber stamping everything he was doing. <laughs> And they saw him murder someone on this video and didn't say anything until everyone left the room. And he just hit one button and they were shut off. And it was, and I'm sorry, I'm glad you brought that up. That was the whole point of this. I went way off track. But that was my problem. Like any system, they saw him and they were just doing whatever he said. My problem was that John Anderton was the system. And that kind of became apparent as the movie went on. Like without him... It, it fell apart. A little bit. I, yeah, you're right. A li- it's like, no one else could really manipulate the dream videos as well as he could or something. But I also, I found myself, you're right, it was a little too easy for him to escape, but I actually found myself really liking sort of his uh, tribulations through, like, the underground of this world and then and then uh, sort of, like, escaping back into the precog facility to get uh, the Agatha out back out of it. I think that whole sequence is really good. All right, I'm going to start recording. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Seth, as you were just saying, yeah, the second act, I I think the movie's kind of broken up into three parts. The first act is, as we were kind of describing, this like techno-noir sci-fi thriller. They're really setting the scene for everything, establishing the characters. And then once he's framed for murder, the next 45 minutes or an hour is, as you so eloquently put, his trials and tribulations as a fugitive in this right. fascist, almost like police autocratic state. And I loved the escapes. I love that part of the movie. To me, that was like the mute. That was the man on the run, fugitive action yeah. thriller part of the film, and I loved it. His the first escape scene is so much fun, and I forgot how long it was. And ending with like the fight at the car factory with Colin Farrell's character, yeah, yeah. Who, and I think Colin Farrell is a great foil in this. We'll get into him in a minute. But, that scene too had some great use of jetpacks. What did you think about jetpacks on cops? <laughs> I thought they were great, but like, like anything, they didn't seem to know how to use them. Like they got, or at least Tom Cruise like clowned all of them. But I thought that was such a cool action scene. I remember loving that action scene in the theater, and I thought that aged really well. I thought that was a really fun. Yeah, no, that held up. It did. Oh, wait, hold so up. is that the first chase? Did I just mix it up? That's the first chase. The second chase is where he beats up the Colin Farrell in the factory, right? Um, I think it's kind of like he gets, he sort of escapes the, the precog place and then they kind of track him down. He like jumps out off a train or something. He jumps, yes. he like switches cars cause they were going to stop his car. And then it's like, they kind of track him down to that building. And then you're right. Yes. He kind of clowns all these guys on jetpacks and like fights Colin Farrell for a little bit. And like that, then he escapes into it, the city, I guess. It's awesome. And I'm, it sounds, we just watched this movie. It just, that like all the action is jam packed in this and it happens so quickly and I, I, I really like that part of the film. And also what I liked about it was you got to kind of see the precog out of the water and she was using her power and it was, I thought they did a beautiful job of it. Yeah. That sequence is really cool where she's like predicting all the stuff and you got to pick up the umbrella and stop in front of the balloons. And it's like, <laughs> you're like, Oh, so this is like, I think that's kind of the part where you're like, Oh, this person's a true, true psychic. Like it's not like a joke. Or something. Have you seen stranger things? I have seen stranger. Yeah. They, they, there's an episode where they do something similar, I believe. And that that's, but it's, 
that's something I'd seen before, but I think it's really well executed here. I think that's one of the things about this movie that maybe we touched on before. It's doing things we've seen before, but it's also executing them really well. And it's also doing things we haven't. Like that jetpack fight chase, I haven't yeah. seen in a movie done to, to that degree. And That's definitely a part I tip my cap to Spielberg because it's like he's done so many action stuff up to that point and then just be like, oh yeah, we'll do jetpacks on the cops and we'll do it up up, up this like uh, fire escape on this tall building. It's like it's a it's an intricate complex action scene and he does it pretty easily in the middle of this, this giant movie it's just kind of like uh yeah i don't think we appreciate it it's like if it had come from a different director you know i think we'd be like wow this guy had an amazing debut but because it's coming from spielberg you're just like oh yeah this is fun <laughs> that's literally you just hit the nail on the head it, it ends up being his probably best sci-fi film but yeah at it the probably, time everyone I mean, was like yeah, yeah it's good but no, it's well. I I really like this. I, th- again, it's a little long. I think we won't get into gripes yet. But I really loved it, and uh, I thought the Colin Farrell character was great. I really like the Samantha Morton character, the the psychic, the precog. Why don't we? Yeah, Colin Farrell. Maybe we should talk about him so because he, I do feel like he's he's kind of the guy that was an up and comer at this point, and that, like for him to land that role opposite crews in a Spielberg movie, I think it just kind of put him on a different platform. And it's like, uh, clearly he's a guy that had a lot of ups and downs. And I think his first come up was really fast and much faster than other actors. Probably. So if you kind of look at when he started and where he went to, can I give you my, my take on, on Colin Farrell? Sure. I like Colin Farrell. So this is going to come off probably a little mean. I don't mean it to be mean, but I do like him. He's one of these actors who I think was kind of forced on people before he was ready or people are ready. He's one yeah. of these guys who I think looks like the actor, had that Hollywood look. And at an early point, Hollywood's just like, you know what? We're going to put this guy front and center. And now let me back this up. The examples I always think of are Sam Worthington and Taylor Kitsch, who oh yeah, I think Colin Farrell's more talented than those guys. Nothing against those guys either. They've done some good stuff, but... Those were also two young guys who were putting all these big tentpole movies and sometimes going up against really big actors or actresses who I don't think they were necessarily ready for those roles. That's a lot of preamble. I thought Colin Farrell was great in this movie, but looking at what he did before, it's just interesting. Tigerland, I didn't see, but I I heard it was good. I knew he was good in that just because as someone who was into movies, I'd heard buzz of that. But that movie did not make a lot of money. American Outlaws, I did see, and is one of the dumber movies that. It's a bad movie, but he did kind of make a name for himself in that movie. He did have swagger. I will say this: he did have Hollywood appeal, and that is why I like him. Even though, but that's like that's the like he kind of makes a name for himself in that movie, and then all of a sudden he's in Minority Report opposite Tom Cruise, like with working with Spielberg. It's like an amazing jump. Oh, and he crushes it, and then after that he takes out Phone Booth, which I, that's a movie I love. That's a great. That's fun a great, movie. But so he he has these really interesting movies where he's making these either B movies that aren't like critically that great, but audiences seem to like, like Phone Booth or even Daredevil made decent money, SWAT, or he's right. making these like artsy movies 
yeah, with are big not name doing directors. Well. Yeah, yeah, like A Home at the End of the World, Alexander, yeah. Intermission. Like, there's, he's making some weird. Oh uh, yeah, here. Alexander's Oliver Stone movie. The New World is a Terrence Malick movie. Miami Vice is a Michael Mann movie. I loved in Bruges. We won't go through his whole thing now. And Bruges to me is when he kind of turns it around. I think that's when he starts coming back. I loved him in yeah. uh, True Detective season two. Not that 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 season was awful, but he was great in it. And he, he he's had he's had a bit of a comeback, but he's would, had ups and downs. And yeah, like his performances can be erratic, obviously, and stuff. But he does work in this movie, and also like there's something about him versus Cruz. He almost seems like a younger Cruz, and then like you can kind of feel like he's breathing down his neck or something. I think all that kind of worked in the movie. It definitely worked. The energy between both of them, yeah. There's like definitely a rivalry there. And yeah. that cocky, they're both trying to swim in the same lane, and I think it works really well. And I think Farrell does a great job. He he kind of differentiates his guy by being a Catholic schoolboy. I did have one question. Why was there a member of the DOD who was from Ireland and the head of this supernatural pre-crime unit from Germany? <laughs> to- I'm totally, I'm not trying to be a xenophobe here. A little worried, though, at all of the high-ranking immigrants in the, in the, in the country. But I, maybe I guess it's 2050 at that point. Maybe they're a little more forward. I couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I could. I wish I could answer that question for you. Maybe they just uh, they didn't want to make Colin Farrell, you know, play a Caucasian. I don't know. Yeah, a normal hey, American. Who knows? Who knows? I'm I'm not gonna argue with it. Why was <laughs> Kevin Costner a modern day American in Robin Hood? I don't get it. That, did that accent <laughs> exist back then? No, but. Who knows? Christian Slater, too. I don't get it, but we're not going to ask those questions. So they're hanging out with Morgan Freeman, even though this was like the most racial period ever. Um, actually, that is a common misconception, Seth. Oh, I'm Did sorry. Did you know that Did in I the just... early and also in the early Middle Ages, there was more diversity than we realized because the Romans were switching people all up over the place? But I'm going to save that for another pod. So you just hold on to your seat there. But uh, I thought Colin Farrell. One of the things he did in this, which is he was an asshole who still you saw a glimmer of likability in him, which is really hard to do. And when you're starting to like him is when you realize that he's not corrupt and that he's actually, yeah, that he's actually right about what he's talking about. He's right that someone's messing with the system. And my whole problem was this, though. If he's really this hotshot kid, and I think this kind of proved it, the only person who could be doing it is Lamar or Anderton. If it's not Anderton, it was the guy that was, was something. About. Yeah, it's like the fact that no one could put together it is Max von Sydow, uh, who was like really pulling all the strings. I thought was a little because <laughs> it's like there's only so many people with access to these precogs and the videos and all that stuff. And once, yeah, I you know it was fun because I had kind of forgotten the intricacies of the plot, I guess. And so once I had kind of re- remembered what happened to Cruz um, and how he's sort of set up, then it's like there's no one else to to blame on except for Max von Sydow. So I will say I this agree though, with you. as much as that was kind of a red flag for me, his turn, Sydow's turn, when he's like, Do you hear that? <laughs> oh, you don't hear dogs barking. He goes through this whole thing and he's taunting. Right. He's basically like, I'm gonna kill you because no one right. fucking knows. And boom, just shoots him right there. It's like <gasps> like to me it was a little mustache twirling, but it worked. And to me you needed that because that makes you question the finale. From there, the movie really gets kind of weird. Like, the last 40 minutes was a lot slower than I realized. It just really becomes this kind of sad, 
Right. They play, he plays a lot more emotion to the Agatha character and sort of like, I, I do really, the part where she gets in his car and she's like, is this now? And it's like, you can tell she doesn't know if she's dreaming or if it's happening. And I thought that was a really interesting moment. But I think you're right, it kind of slows down in that third act a little bit. Um, it's it's not but, awful, but it's just, and it, it's not even bad. I just said how much I love the movie. It works. It, that was one of the things that really, and I said this before, and I'm sorry to keep repeating it, but the movie really felt like three distinct styles. It's all one movie, but the first act, as I said, up until that John Anderton, John Anderton name comes out of the ball comes down, right. it feels very, it could almost be, this should be a like a weekly procedural on one of the shows like this. And they tried that. We'll get into that later. Uh, and then the, then the, the, the middle act is just pure action and it's like this is a summer july blockbuster on the big screen yeah. and then the third act becomes what i think to your point i don't want to say melodramatic but it's much more dramatic and it's sad and it's haunting and it's about this this lost daughter and her dead mom and who killed the mom and yeah. I, I don't want to say lifetime that's because it's not but it becomes it's not just at that point it's not a genre fair it's really like a murder mystery it's like more of a drama in that last third act yeah, you're trying to kind of put together the pieces of that murder and figure out how Cruz got framed. And it's like... Maybe a place actually, better. I, the, fr- the framing of Cruz was actually more interesting to me than the, the mother getting murdered. Because it's like, it's like he kills this guy he doesn't know and he sees a precognition of it. And then when he finally gets to that moment, what was interesting to me too in the movie is like, do you, do you think Cruz changes his mind in that moment because he saw the the precog uh, dream. You know what I mean? Like if he had gotten to that moment without seeing the dream, he sees all the pictures of his, of his kid who was kidnapped on the bed. And then he sees the guy who he assumes is the kidnapper. And yes. it's like, he just snaps and shoots him or yes. because he, he saw the precog dream. Is that what stops him in that moment? Yes. And the reason I say that is there. So we know there are these minority reports, but they're also the precog herself. The, you said there was no minority report for him. So it was like all three of them had the same dream. Oh, I apologize. Ever. That was right. That was So there's no minority report. But this is the thing she says. You know the future. You can change it. And yeah, he does. Yeah. And the only other person to know is Lamar Burgess because he knows that that red right. ball is for him. And Tom Cruise tells him, you are the – I changed my future. You can change yours. So the only right. two people who knew their future changed it. And I think that is what I love about that. So that, that is, goes that into the whole like, other question yeah. is if by knowing your future is it automatically changed. And if that yeah, case, that's a different question. Then does that mean instead of, so this is my other thing about the one quick thing about the pre-crime, you get those names instead of sending a bunch of jackbooted thugs to fly in through a window and take it down a whole freaking, why don't you send an alert to the wife and why don't you send something to like blind the husband? Like all their eyes are connected to some Wi-Fi. Disable the eyes. Like there are just so yeah. many other things you can do short of <laughs> turning these people into zombies and effectively killing them, effectively ending their lives. As yeah, or yeah. I just wonder if if all of these murderers, if they had seen the video beforehand, would that immediately change their what they would do in the moment? Even the guy, you know, the guy in the beginning with the the crime of passion that uses the scissors, like would that guy have changed? His maybe mind he doesn't walk in. Maybe he knows he's. Maybe he yeah. doesn't walk out. Maybe I think that's it with crimes of passion. Maybe that's what they're trying to say is it's a crime of passion. 
you're doing it in the moment. If you could not, I, the idea being that they're all going to get caught. I think the crimes of passion are the only thing that exists because as we, the forethought that goes into actually killing someone, you're, you're going to get caught. Knowing, just knowing you're going to go to jail seems to be, it seems like the deterrent alone. Well, I guess. Them, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there are still, you know, people committing crimes for money and stuff like that. I don't, I don't, it's not like, but no, but I think premeditated yeah. crime is still a thing. But no, I'm sorry. We're, I, I it's just murder. They, they say pre crime, yeah. but it's really just murder. And one of the things they say it's because it's the metaphysically, it's the most destructive act. And that's why they can, they can see it. I will say there's something to, yeah, it's like, this happens in every Philip K. Dick book, but the the thing that you have to swallow with this movie is just that the precogs can can dream every single murder, and like you can't question that. Otherwise, the whole thing kind of falls on its face. But like that part doesn't make a ton of sense, honestly. And it's like, sure, maybe there's some psychics that have a lot of dreams. Maybe they even have a lot of dreams about murders. But like the idea to me that these three people could dream every single murder in a city over months on end. Uh, that's a hard one for me to, when I really think about that, it's like, it's hard for me to really trust it, I guess. <laughs> I wouldn't trust that system. Uh, my only thing would be, how could a person do that? They can't. Like, to actually be, and as they kind of shows, these aren't really humans as we know them. Not as, yeah. not as precogs. They're like, they've really turned them in utilities. And that I guess that's that's kind of my question. I agree with you. But just on the question alone, do you think it's okay? I mean, you kind of touched on this before. If they have those abilities, just on the basis of is it okay to ask them to do – can you have them do it? Do you need to ask them to do it? Should you ask anyone to do it? Yeah. It's a, it's a slippery – yeah, and it's like the way they do it, honestly, is like, you know, the, they drug them up and keep them in these dream states, and it's, it's not really a – it's more of a – comatose kind of situation um, it seems like and hell it, and they keep living yeah. awful memories and they're living the memories of not them yeah. of the victims and they just keep it seems like a truly awful fate to me and if there were people willing to do it i would be okay with it understanding okay yeah of their own free will it. yeah yeah i don't think you need to do it every hour of every day i think you can maybe take some time off but my other question was understanding that these are difficult to find they they found three in a short amount of time why aren't there more females if the females are the most powerful what if you had three females i just i'm not yeah i wasn't sure how that all worked (laughs) i I, you know what that's really nitpicky going into the mechanics of it i think it's unfair for sci-fi so i'm actually gonna i'm gonna pull that back I hate when people do that. I'm I'm not going to go too far. And it's the, yeah, it's the one thing with the it's like with Phil K. Dick, you you always it's like he'll set you up with the premise, and then it's just like he'll go from there. And that you you shouldn't worry too much about the premise, honestly. It's like you shouldn't worry about going to Mars or whether you can really make a humanoid android in Blade Runner. It's yeah. like you just go with that, and then you, you I'm, go on to the next I, I'm getting lost in the details, and I know I do that sometimes, but I agree. Philip K. Dick, it's that's not what it's about. He constructs the story so well that I was getting lost in the weeds there. Um, I did the same thing though, where it's like, it's hard for me to not think about some of those things. So where do we come down? So do you, okay. So I guess, do you agree that because he knew that's why Lamar Burgess didn't have to kill him? I, I, yeah, I agree that it's like, 
the people that could see the videos of themselves committing the murder, it allowed them to kind of change their futures. Whereas like all these other people, they never get to see those precognitions. So they just carry out what they were doing without a thought about it, I guess. Okay. Can I ask you one question? And I don't want you to get mad at me, but you can get a little mad at me. Did you buy him getting back together with his wife at the end? Because um, we ripped on a couple uh, 90s movies recently, and I will say, I- I'll give my take in a minute, but I just wanted to see what you thought, because we ripped I on I think if I'm the wife, I'm kind of like, whatever you did or whatever you got into, you know, um, I don't know. I, it would take a long explanation for me to get back with that guy, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although I will say, the rewatching it, the scene of her in the house talking about what at first I thought was their dead son's possible future. And then by the end of the movie, I realized, (coughs) excuse me, was probably their new son's likely future, but it was really beautiful. And, and it kind of, whatever it was for me, it really showed the, I thought it was a powerful scene that I could kind of see them getting back together. So even though I ripped on that recently, for me, it works in this home. It's okay. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's enough there that I buy that she goes in to kind of like question the guy or question the storage guy with the halos or something. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I, I could really see her getting back together with him. For me, it worked. It, it worked well enough. Whether they get back together, I, I, w- I was happy with where they ended it. And... Oh, shoot. I just had the question in my head. Gosh. Dang it. It Can I ask you, um, if they had tried to make this a sequel to Total Recall, do you think that could have worked? No. I think it's so much better on its own. I I agree. I I would still like to see Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie on Mars or something, though. Like, I would totally watch that. (laughs) If they're going to make it, like, make something new. Make a sequel to both of them that brings them together. That that's what I'd rather have than uh, I don't know. I, I, the I, other question of the Philip K. Dick sort of books and stories, what which is the best of them? I think it's like you got Blade Runner, you got uh, Total Recall, you got Minority Report. I think Scanner Darkly is up there. Um, there's that Paycheck movie that uh, Ben Affleck was in. Imposter. There, there's a lot of good. There's a lot yeah, of Imposter. bad. Uh, there's the man in the high castle, which I do not love. Oh yeah. That's like an Amazon series now for me coming into this. I probably would have said total recall. I might give it to minority report. I, I think minority report. I've also read all the short stories. They're, they're not generally as action based. They're a little, they're much more story based. Uh, yeah. and that's not a knock. They're still really good. So I, I might say, I think I'm going to say minority report. It's up there. The school. I think I would still go Blade Runner. I think Blade Runner is a little bit deeper. Um, I yeah, Scanner Darkly. I think is kind of a. It's a cool movie to watch. I guess. I, I think Minority Total Recall is probably the most fun of them. I think Minority Report is actually the one that's the most. It actually feels the most like a Philip K. Dick short story, where it's like it's a futuristic premise and it's it's a fast pace and there's action and it's like. Uh, I think it's the most similar to actually reading his writing, 
whereas like the other ones are kind of like the, a director's take on like his premise or something. I would agree. I like that. I like that take. I'm not. I'm not even going to tweak it. I'm going to just put my <laughs> rubber stamp that. I, I agree with you entirely. Thank you. This was the, this was the question I meant to ask before. Colin Farrell. Sorry, that when I kept hemming and hawing earlier. Colin Farrell. We talked about. Him. We liked him in this film. He's kind of had ups and downs. We talked about. Coming out of this movie, used to borrow the phrase from our watchables and Bill Simmons, I would like this guy's stock was high. Like I was buying, like the, I thought he was going to be, if not Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise esque. And Tom Cruise has a funny habit of every five or six years of going head to head against a Jeremy Renner or a Colin Farrell, and everyone's like he's finally passing the baton. And no, five years later, Tom Cruise is still crushing it, and these guys are around, but no longer. A-list yeah. And uh, where I'm going with this is Colin Farrell, he's come back. He was just in this new Artemis Fowl movie, which I haven't seen, but got awful reviews. But he's kind of had to bounce back. He's probably in the prime of his career, if not prime. He's got another 20, 30 years left of acting in him. I'm a little disappointed with his output so far. I was expecting more movie star stuff. I thought they hoisted him on us a little too early. And then I thought as he was really starting to coming to his own, he had kind of had to retreat into these smaller roles or more side supporting roles. And yeah. I feel like now he's probably at a point where, at least from what I saw in True Detective, I think he's really talented. He, he did a really great job in that season. And I want to see him do more. But then I see him in these in these films, like whether it's The Gentleman or Artemis Fowl, he just seems to be doing more genre stuff now. And he, I, I'm not knocking him. I like him. I think he's doing well. I agree with you. I think overall, like, I think after this movie, I would have thought the next 15 years of his career would have been better than what he did. Not that everything's been horrible, or that, but it's just like, I think I would have thought he would have become a, a little bit bigger than he actually is, even though he's still a pretty well-known guy now. But I, I think with him, it's a little bit of a casting thing where it's like, I don't know if he's found the perfect part for himself yet. And like it's like, with any guy like that, I think a lot of directors see him as a risk-reward type of guy. And so it's like they either cast him hoping sort of like as a Hail Mary to get something more than they wanted, or they cast him as just a guy to buffer the cast list that they have already kind of set up. And so it's like he's sort of in that weird in-between spot where it's like you're either another kind of name to put into a supporting cast or you're like a long-shot lead for somebody's movie that like they're not, you know, that three other big actors passed on or something. That is such, now that you say that you're hundred percent right. And the way I, it's, he has this marquee, his name still has like marquee recognition, Yeah, but he's not the pull. He, he himself, his stars diminished somewhat. And, you know, Brad Pitt kind of went through a little bit of this, even though, like Brad, I think the take on Brad Pitt has always been like, this is a, a leading man with a who's a, who's actually a character actor or something. But it's like, I think he was another guy where it was like, it took a while for people to really cast him in the right parts so that you could see everything he could do. But you're right, in True Detective season three, it's like, it's uh, I mean, Farrell's acting at pretty high level in a lot of those episodes and stuff, and he shows a lot of range. It's just, it's clear he is talented, but yeah, it's like. I don't think he's had the part that's shown his full potential, kind of. Hopefully we haven't seen his best stuff. Um, okay, <laughs> and with that in mind, that's my question for Cruz. 
and Spielberg. Does Spielberg have another Minority Report in him? Do do you think he has any? Uh, he's going to continue to make good movies, but does he have another yeah, great? It's movie? hard to say. I would, you know, I would hope that he could still make another movie that really matters at some point uh, before he's like gone or whatever happens to these old directors. But it's like I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that he will. For all I know, like this Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, was kind of like his last real prime in terms of high-end movies and like it's not like he's making terrible stuff but he's just not making he's not making movies that would challenge the other great movies he's made which is something that it's like you know i it's like people like the coen brothers i think could still make a movie that would challenge some of their previous movies where i think spielberg's might be at that point that coppola i think hit like 10 years ago where it's just like he's just not going to make another movie that's going to be at the level of his earlier work yeah, and the one thing I will give Spielberg is I really like Ready Player One, but just these five movies, Munich, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The Post, and Ready Player One would be five banner movies for just about any director. Not only That's like true. how well they were reviewed, but for how successful they were. They were all successful in the box office, and I believe they all had some Oscar recognition and they were all, were all big movies at the time. But they're still... And that's why we probably feel like... We probably both feel weird, like, kind of knocking him. They're yeah. just still clear steps below his top... And he's one of these guys. He's got 10, 12 great movies that are almost genre... Not I don't want to say genre-changing, but Hook... I know Hook isn't remembered well, but Hook is one of the best... My favorite childhood movies. And it's this, like... It's one of my favorite pirate stories. Like he has put his touch on all these different areas with Jurassic Park. Yeah, no, but even I think you made a statement earlier where you like Minority Report might be his best sci-fi, and it might be. But then it made me think, like you know, this guy made Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was a massive movie at the time. And it was like a big deal. which I forgot. So yeah. that's I, I gotta. <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna pull that back. Even when you throw something like that out, that kind of made sense when you said it. it's like, oh yeah, ET, like Close Encounters, like those are huge movies, and it's like. He's. I. I just. Don't, I don't know if he can make movies like that anymore. It's, and I hear some people. I've heard this conversation come up, and I've heard some people say it's. Oh, he doesn't get the technology. I don't like when people say that because Avatar is the only movie I remember that people remember solely for technology. The Lord of the Rings movies had great technology, but they were also really well told stories and with the great acting. Like you still need the story part. Dark Knight great special effects. It was still great acting and directing and performances and music. There's still an art to it. And my hope is he can do it. I'm not telling him how to do his job. I think the best thing for him to do, I mean, he's remaking West Side Story. I'm sorry. That's not going to be it. But, and he doesn't have to do it. He can do whatever he wants. I think he's the type of guy where he might need like two to three years on one movie to be like, let me just put my stamp on this. He is going to make a good movie no matter what. I don't know what it is, but my hope is he finds a project he really wants. You're right. And, and like, uh, it would be to cool to case. see him, yeah, kind of like take a pause from like, yeah, like the West Side Stories and the Reddit Player Ones and just be like, hey, what if I took two to three years and made something that really mattered to me? I think, you know, Spielberg's been one of those guys that always works constantly on multiple projects and never really takes breaks. And I, I do wonder maybe now that he's older, it's like, yo, you don't need to be producing 10 movies and like directing three of them. 
and not taking any time to like really think about it. I mean, I don't. I think if I were him, I would make at least an adjustment or something to try to get back to like that the level I was at before. But I don't. You know, for all I know, maybe he thinks like the post is like one of his best movies. I don't even know what his own perspective is. He also might be making more money than ever now that he's a producer and making them all <laughs> himself. True. Like it's. Uh, I mean, I know the whole Jurassic World franchise is still money going into his pocket and stuff. It's. I mean, he makes a lot of money. He's he's doing well. He's doing well. I like the guy, Seth. I got no problem with the guy. But it just it's one of those things where we kind of talk about this. I just wish he was better longer. It's almost like an athlete thing. Like he, yeah. he, he and it's hard to say he's on this decline because again he's making good movies and he still may have his best movie. Well, I would say yeah, I would say like I think he's. I mean he's he's. Making better work than Coppola, I, I would I think Scorsese and Woody Allen, and maybe even um, Polanski, have had better twenty first century, <laughs> you know, two thousands and on have been better than Spielberg has been, which I don't know if I would have thought that going into the century. Yeah, I mean I, Spielberg's honestly I don't think think he's one of my favorite ten directors right now. Like he's definitely, I can think of five directors or stuff at the top of my head who, and it's not like, oh, I don't like Spielberg. I, I just like their recent movies more, their things. And even if you remove yeah. the Marvel universe, like, yeah, there's still going to be, I think, five or six directors who jump to my head before he does. So Well, well that's an interesting idea. It's like, what if, uh, what if all of a sudden Steven Spielberg was like, hey, I'm making the next Avengers movie in three years? <laughs> If he said that, I would be all on board because I think that's the type of fare that he would be perfect for. Honestly, I think he could handle... It would be an interesting move if he did something like that. The Avengers movies... I also think the Avengers movies, to be honest, we talk about them borrowing things from uh, from other genres or storytellers. They borrow a lot from Steven Spielberg, especially his 90s stuff. The, like, the mix of spectacle and heart and humor. And yeah. I'm not saying they do it as well as he does, but I'm saying... And it might be a little in broader strokes than some of the other things, but I definitely see them borrowing some things from Spielberg as well. I think his storytelling would be perfect, especially after seeing Ready Player One. I, I would rather this is. I think if Spielberg, though, he's one of these guys. I think he would make a much better hundred million dollar superhero movie if he had less money and had to rely on more practical effects. Than, Maybe than if you gave him like two hundred million dollars. And I just think of like James Gunn and even Joss Whedon. And yes, they had huge budgets for Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers, but they both did like they stretched those budgets. Like those movies were long and chock. Like they felt very good, like very high. You could tell the money went to the right places. They both yeah. had sequels, they both had bigger budgets and more freedom. And the movies were both fine. Age of Ultron was a fine sequel. And Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was fine, but they were not as good. And they, they didn't make as much money, especially relative to how much they cost. So I'm kind of getting down a rabbit hole here. I guess what I'm saying <laughs> okay. is... I, I, think, think, like, I just think it'd be interesting if he, you know, instead of going back to the well for like the eighth Indiana Jones movie, it's like, why don't you see if you can make an Avengers movie? Or why don't you see if you can make like a James Bond movie? Or a Fast and the Furious movie? Like instead of going back to your own thing, like try to do a different... Uh, franchise because I just think he'd be good at those kind of things. Well, that's one of the things that bothers me a lot about Scorsese and Spielberg hasn't said this, but just this whole idea of directors 
who are like, you know what, I, I don't like comic book movies. Yeah. <laughs> that that would be like baseball. I, I'm, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of the equivalent. That would be like if old baseball was like, you know what, guys, we love you coming to this game, but we just don't like people who wear hats. We're just not, we think the only people wearing hats should be on the field. Like, I don't want you wearing hats. And I know that sounds so stupid, but the reason I'm saying that is because most people are wearing hats at the stadium. And my whole thing is, who cares? Like, you guys make movies. There are only certain people who go see movies in this country. Instead of telling the few people who see movies that they are seeing the wrong types of movies, like, make your own... Either make get other people to see your movies or make those types of movies. I just, I the directors who are like, or just yeah, or just make your own movies and don't talk about like movies you don't like. Like it's not a big deal. <laughs> That's what I don't get. There's never been a time in Hollywood where everyone's loved every movie. It just drives me crazy. Yeah. And I'm kind of coming down on Spielberg. I don't think he said anything super. I actually think he's actually gone out of his way to be very modest and neutral. And so I, this is probably more so misplaced anger for Scorsese. I, I think a Steven Spielberg Superman movie would probably be one of the better movies. And this, yeah, that would be cool. I, I think that it's like, he should go back to simpler things like that, where it's like, go back, not, not saying to remake Jaws, but Jaws was just a shark in the water. And it's like, go, yeah, do something more simplistic, I guess. But instead like, of trying to like make Lincoln. Well, this is one of the things I'm like, you don't need, this is one of the things that bothers me when, when people like knock comic book movies it's just a word that you can make that comic book movie about whatever the hell you want it to be about. Like if you want to make a movie, it's just anything else. Like, yes, if you're, That's what it's like if Philip K. Dick had written minority report as a comic book, I don't think that changes our conversation about it. Like all the content is still at the same level. It's like, it's still the same. It's like, it was a short story. It wasn't a comic book, but it's still the same thing. hundred <laughs> percent. And so I guess where I'm going, like if you want to make West side story, you go do that and you don't need to make, freaking superman but what i'm saying is you want to make a big movie again why don't find why don't you you're steven spielberg you can find a character you're like sam raimi is getting to do dr strange because they needed like i'm sorry i don't know anything about hollywood but i've just imagined that steven spielberg could do if he wanted to do maybe not superman maybe it's something else maybe he doesn't want to do superman i don't know what it is I just it bothers me. If there's anyone that can go to the like to who could go to DC or Marvel and ask to do something like that, it's him. Like it's he clearly has the keys to the castle, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess I'm tripping over my words here. Just because it's a comic book movie doesn't mean it can't be something else. And I think it's one of the things that Marvel's done really well about trying to make Ant Man film a heist film, or trying to make Captain America Winter Soldier two a spy film, and they realize that it can be more than one thing. I would really like to see Spielberg. It doesn't even need to be a Marvel DC thing. Why not make yeah. your own? Why not make your own, put all the messages you want to put in there about society, about how bad superhero films are. Like, that's what I don't get. Why isn't there a parody? Or why isn't there your rebuttal? And I always think of Watchmen. Alan Moore hated the state of comics in the 80s, so he made The Watchmen, which is a complete, like, it rips apart the whole concept of heroism. And that's much easier said than done. But there are plenty of stories out there that you can have or make where you can call attention to this hero culture and 
if you have statements to say, say them. Make a movie about it. Like, I, I just don't get when it's – and I'm sorry. I'm going to get off the soapbox, but – I would just like to see them jump in this well. As a comic book fan, yeah. it bothers me when people are like, oh, I don't like those movies. Then I'm like, then why don't you make one that you like and show us? Like, as a comic book movie yeah. fan, show me I that think they it's can similar. It's like people who are like, I don't like cowboy movies. Or people who are like, I don't like country music. It's like, well, you like music. And like, I'm sure you like lyrics and stuff. And it's like, I'm sure if you actually listen to some people, you might like something. And it's like one of those things where it's like, people make these blanket statements. And then you're like, oh yeah, well, I do like, you know, the dark Knight, or like, I do like the Joker. And it's like, all of a sudden, well, maybe you are in on comic movies, just not in on all of them. And it's like, just figure your shit out. You can't, you know, but like, that's what it's like. Oh, well, I like, I liked history of violence and I liked, um, Joker. And it's like, well, okay. Those are comic book movies. Oh, I like Sin City. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you, you do like comic book movies. Well, oh, oh yeah. Um, all right. That was beautifully <laughs> eloquently said by me. Um, I'll get us off that soapbox. Uh, what do we do? Uh, are we doing final scores? I, I think it's time for final scores. What do you? What are your thoughts on final scores? I'm actually after a talk. I'm kind of leaning high on this one. Uh, and again, I, we didn't. We talked a little about Cruz, but I want to reiterate: Cruz is a weird guy in his personal life. I always enjoy his acting performances in almost in basically every movie. Honestly, I I think he's a very underrated actor just in terms of his acting ability. And the effort he puts forth in all of his movies. I always feel like there's a lot of emotion. Some of the scenes involving his son, I think he goes very quickly to emotional place that would be hard for a lot of actors. I think I just think he's an underrated actor. I think it's been lost with his personal life. But anyways, I like the acting. I like Colin Farrell in an early role. Spielberg still in his prime. Just a lot of good stuff going on. Phil K. Dick, a lot of good content to think about while watching it. I think I'm going to go with an 8. I'm going on 8.0. Ooh, lordy, lord, lord. <laughs> Eights, crazy eights. Okay, okay. I like it's like if you if you're a fan of movies or like I mean, Cruz is the biggest movie star you can get. Spielberg is as big a director as you can get. They're both good in the movie. There's nothing nothing going wrong here. Okay, you heard it here first, folks. Perfect movie from Seth. Perfect eight. Perfect. I mean, it's a perfect eight. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, Where are you at, Jake? I'm coming in a little higher, but we're in the same ballpark. I I already gave the the heads up before. I remember liking it, but was coming out of it was kind of blown away by how much I liked it. And coming in, I think I was probably thought it was like a high seven, low eight. I'm gonna end up, I think, eight six. Feel strong oh, nice. in eight six. It has a little bit of a bump there. I'm giving the last second bump from an eight four, but I feel like an eight six is good. I think that's solid. Tom Cruise, and I, I don't think we gave him enough credit. He's incredible in this film. His best quality is he just like he has that natural charisma that you feel you're sharing the emotion with him. And this is one of the movies that I think where it works best, where you're feeling sad with him at the beginning, you're feeling his like fear in the middle when he's running, and you feel his like determination and anger at the end. And it's a movie. It's so much more than just an emotional revenge story, but at the end, it's really a story about emotions. And you're—it's a roller coaster ride with, with both what he's going through as a character, literally and figuratively, emotionally as things are going on, and as he's like jumping off cars, right? And way too into the weeds right now. I love the movie. I think it's really, really good. And I, one of the things I liked about it was—I touched on this briefly—was it's constructed in a different way than other films. Like it, 
the first third takes a while. It starts off fast with this first crime and then it builds. And then the, the middle is just all action. And then it slows down again and it slows down without losing any of the tension or momentum, which is really hard to do. And then it all culminates with something that is kind of beautiful and sad where the bad guy sacrifices himself and at the time undoes, and it has so many other meanings of just saying John Anderton. And to me, it's kind of this thing where you realize there wasn't any real villain in the film. There were just people who were doing bad things. And that you can, you can easily argue that because Max Monsido's character, Lamar Burgess, does some pretty awful things. So if you want to argue that, you can. But I guess where I'm going is this is a movie where it's about, it's about hope, which, as we all know, as optimists, I love. But it plays in a lot of the the topics that I love. The idea of free will versus determinism. The idea of just like the authoritative state. How much how much privacy is too much? How much is not enough? And then it just plays on just some very natural human things. Yeah, all, all the questions it brings up about police, the justice system, and like authority, all, all that stuff still rings relevant. And I think that's kind of what Spielberg's most successful at, is like he's able to take that content from Bill K. Dick and all those questions, just like you keep asking yourself those throughout the movie and after the movie, which is kind of the whole point of the thing, is to make you think about our current system and what it would be like if we could change it, or what it would be like if we could see the future. And then, like Jake said in the beginning, it's like, the real problem is actually addressing these criminals before they become criminals. And that's the real solution to, like, most of these things. So, yeah, I feel good with 8-6. Your performances are great. You have good foil in uh, our, our boy, Colin Farrell. Max von Sydow is great as the overarching villain and then you have just a great like tim blake nelson peter stormare Catherine morris is the wife there's just it's a great cast uh a frank grillo is an as an unnamed cop just has a, a very good cast i liked it i i liked it a lot but seth before i let you go there were a few questions i had sure first of all do you have any gripes of wrath um I think my biggest gripe is like who's paying for all the fuel and these jetpacks the cops are uh, flying around in. Um, there was also, you know, a lot of the security was based on eye scanning. And so there's this part, there's a good part in the movie where Cruz gets his eyes swapped and then one of the robots scans it kind of early. And it seemed like he probably should have gone blind there. Um, but also just like the fact that the only security is really eye scans. It's, uh, I was kind of like, why don't you do some a fingerprint and an eye scan? And then you can't just rip somebody's eye out or whatever. <laughs> yeah, some of the security seemed a little... It was minor stuff like that, yeah. Uh, what blew my mind was all they needed was a bloody eye to get in all these facilities. Because they had eye scanners but no cameras. Or anyone looking at cameras. Like yeah. watching, oh, why is that person holding a bloody bag up to the screen? Let him on in. Let him on in. Um, so I had similar gripes. So, and being that they really were just like a couple plot holes, one GPS would be a huge <laughs> lifesaver. And I'm imagining, you know, it's like 2060. We have pretty good records now of where people live. You could figure, you should be able to figure out who these people are within 30 seconds of having the name. Uh, it was a little unclear to me how they were getting the names actually. 
Like, I understand that they were having dreams of the murders. I wasn't sure how they would get the names onto the marble. Well, we won't go too far into that rat hole now, but that, I think that's a fair question. We'll, we'll follow that okay. in the in the Redux edition. My other one was, and you just touched on this, he has his eyes swapped out, which makes sense because in, in this world, that under, clearly you need that. So, one, this spider ends up looking at it before the allotted time, and he doesn't seem to go blind, even though he said he would. So not really sure what's going on there. Bigger problem, Peter Stormare is this creepy doctor who's snotting everywhere right before he's about to commit open eye surgery on this dude. It's really gross. He's also, there's a ton of like good food and bad food in this fridge. My problem is after he does this really delicate surgery, you learn that John Anderton busted this guy years before. He was a plastic surgeon who would burn his victims and then like operate on them. John Anderton let this guy operate on, on him. So my problem was, I do remember the first time seeing this movie, and I didn't remember to be watching it. This scene happens, and I remember being like, oh, yeah, what the hell happens here? And uh, he leaves him alone, and nothing happens. And my whole question was, what the fuck? Like, is this realistic? Like, Well, I think what it's trying to – it's like once, once Cruz is on the run, it's like he has to associate with other criminals he knows in order to get out of the whole situation. And so it's like – you have to go at like the only people he knows are people he's arrested really that are like in that criminal underground. And so I kind of agree with you where it's like that backstory is a little like, um, I don't know if I trust this guy that was burning people, but I think at the same time, it's kind of like, he doesn't have a lot of options. This is somebody he does know that like does legal surgery like this. It's this, it's kind of the same with that other guy where he takes Agatha to download the yeah. minority report of her mom's uh, yeah. murder. Where it's like it's a guy that he knew he used to arrest or whatever and knew that he could like hack into this girl and show him some videos or something. And so I kinda get what's going on. I think that backstory of the guy probably should have been a little more thought out, I guess. <laughs> that makes sense. I just I felt like that could have been a whole thing. I guess this Yeah, yeah. This movie could also, I feel like, be a great four, five, six episode series. Yeah, it probably could be. Yeah. There there's some meat on the bone. But all right, that that was really it. Those are my only outside of that, I thought it I it's a pretty tight movie. Yeah, yeah, like I don't want to say it's long because it's not. It's deliberate, and there's no real wasted time. I remember being like, "You could cut off ten minutes," and I was like, "But I, I don't know." This is one I of the. Thought few it was pretty movies. well paced. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. too. Wasn't too bad. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna sit here and say it should be reduced at all. It's just long, but that's not. That's not. Uh, that's not a detriment to me. That's just a, a, a statement. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, is it? I think it's. It's that time of the day, Seth. It's, it's time to say goodbye. Oh, well, it was fun. Goodbye, people. Goodbye. Goodbye, people. <laughs> um...